Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. I recently discovered the work of Chris Ochicone through an article in a Feature Shoot. The project featured in the article was titled Tent City, A Glimpse at Life Inside a New Jersey Homeless Camp. And it showcased some amazing storytelling images of the people who live there. So I contacted Chris right away to invite him on the show to talk about his project. And he actually refers to the project as Fringe. Welcome, Chris. Hi. How, how are you? And uh, I, I'm really excited because this is the kind of project I'm, I'm looking for. You know, I, as photographers, we kind of want to do personal projects all the time. And uh, I just love this. And I want to I know everything about it. So who are you, first of all? Uh, well, I'm a photographer. I'm based in New Jersey, north, northern New Jersey, just kind of in the suburbs of New York. Um, and uh, I've been a photographer for about uh, two years, I guess. Um, yeah, and uh, this project I started last year was kind of the first project that I really went for as like a longer term thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So what is your what is your background? Um, is it photography or no, you... not at all. Uh, I'm a little bit older than probably most guys starting out, uh, and uh, I had been a teacher for seven or eight years, and then um, I was involved in a real estate. I still am involved in a real estate business, uh, property management kind of thing. But this is really what I always wanted to do. And um, last year, about two years ago, actually, we started uh, fostering a child, uh, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we were moving towards to finalizing the adoption, last, I, I felt that uh, I needed to set an example and kind of embark on the things that I always wanted to do. So he would know when he's older, you know, the story of hopefully how I was successful in doing it and, uh, and kind of set the example. So I, I kind of put all my chips in and uh, I went to ICP for a year, International Center of Photography in New York, and really just threw myself into it. Okay. And, so, uh, so that's how I got here. So it's become uh, it, from a passion into a, a, a business or do you? Yeah, well, the business isn't going particularly well as far as uh, you know, profitability. Well. But um, yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I... You know, I think I identify myself as okay. now. That's your goal. Um, yeah. Awesome. So what is Tent City? Well, Tent City is, uh, it's in an area in, um, it's, well, it's a group of, it was, it's closed now, a group of uh, homeless people, I guess people that would be otherwise homeless, they would say it's their home, that are living um, in a, were living in a forest in uh, northern New Jersey. Um Again, like kind of in the on the fringe of New York City, a little bit in the shadow of it, um, and it's it's an area of New Jersey that um, if you listen to Bruce Springsteen, early Bruce Springsteen, mm -hmm. and talk about the misery of New Jersey, this is actually that area that he's writing about. All the kind of stories, it, it's that kind of place, a bit of a depressed place. Um, it's uh, it, so it was a place that um, was on public land in a okay. forest in a town called Lakewood, New Jersey, and. Um, You know, people had been living there, you know, say a dozen people and a, a local minister started organizing a little bit and helping people get, uh, you know, some, some donations, some clothes, some food. And, and it moved into, um, you know, getting heaters for them and, uh, and, and, and different resources like that so they could survive out there. And it, and it kind of ballooned into about a hundred people. Okay. And, um, and it was, 
a strange, you know, twisted community. It had all the aspects. It's a place. It had all the aspects of a community that you or I live in. You know, there's people gossiping. Everybody knows each other. Almost like a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but the the twisted part was, you know, there's there's criminality. There's you know heavy drug use. There's a lot of people that. Um, you know, all the things that kind of reasons that make people homeless is why people were there. Um, okay. you know, mental illness, um, people on the run from the law. And then, you know, a few random people who, you know, guys who are very hardcore libertarian who just say, I'm not going to pay taxes. I'm just going to live in the forest. So there was a real mix of people. Okay. So were those people originally from that area, New York or New Jersey for the yeah. most part? Most of the people were local, and then you would find some people that, um, for example, there were some people that uh, came out to work on um, the recovery for Hurricane Sandy, you know, guys uh-huh. who kind of roam around, you know, an electrician from Iowa and things like that, that, that uh, wandered out here. And, and um, I guess the kind of guy that might wander around like that from disaster to disaster, looking to do work, you know, they're kind of living on that bubble where paycheck to paycheck kind of kind of thing and things don't work out for them or they they come out and they maybe have a little bit of a substance problem or a little bit of mental illness and they just you know maybe can't um they have skills but they can't they're not equipped to work full time they Mm -hmm. you know they while they while they could actually do the job you know there's something in their i don't want to say character in their on their i don't know what you'd call it in their resume that their personal history that you know, prohibits them from, they're, they're going to get fired because okay. they, you know, get drunk, not show up for two days. And Okay. Yeah, I see know, that. Um, so how did you find out about Tensity, first of all? So I had been um, working on my project, like as a, I don't call it a thesis for, at ICP. And um, I was shooting in Newark, New Jersey. And I had a mentor, a guy called Joe Rodriguez, who shot a lot of urban stuff, um, d- projects about gangs. And I, I was very inspired by him. He was the kind of guy that uh, I had met before I went to ICP and really liked what I was doing and encouraged me to go there and kind of get the focus, you know, and, and learn how to tell the story kind of from soup to nuts. And not, I, I had been kind of shooting just the middle of the story, you know, mm-hmm. and I was working on this thing in Newark and, and I felt out of place. Um, and then uh, I met a guy, the guy who owns Redux, uh, a guy called Marcel Saba, and I had a conversation about goals and 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 how to be the photographer that suits your personality. And he mm-hmm. suggested, uh, you know, looking in local papers and, and you know, tearing out articles. And uh, I started doing that, and I came across this place, Tent City. Um, and I went to check it out, and it just, uh, it's something clicked that I said, like, this is a story that um, appeals to me on a couple levels. One, just on a human story, there's everybody has their own personal story and, and these are quite dramatic and uh and then two even from a political situation and i guess uh, like a moral situation there's a lot of questions there about how it was being run um by the, the local minister that i mentioned and the politics involved in the the town itself how they were they wanted to close it down they were working to close it down for a number of years how they were going about it so it really just kind of clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just said, I'm going all in on this, you know, and just decided that this is what I'm, I'm going to get in with these guys and, and, and shoot it and 
see what happens. And the setting itself is unusual. I mean, you know, you think of homelessness, you think of cities and alleys, and uh, but here they're in the woods. So you have that. Um, so, so the, I can see how the project, in so many so many aspects of the project, would definitely appeal to a, a photographer and and finding something a little different, uh, and and making a difference. Now, how did you first? get introduced how did you how was your first approach i mean i, I suppose the first day you didn't bring out a camera i i, I mean I, i had it with me mm -hmm. i had it out you know like around my neck but i went down they they had a uh like i said there was a minister that um was organizing they had a little website and it said you know uh went it was winter time and said, you know people need these items if you want to bring them down come okay. down on a saturday So I, I went down with, um, they needed like uh, fire starters to, um, they had um, Franklin stoves in their tents. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they needed fire starters. They always needed bottled water. So I like, I, I just put together a box of stuff just so I could walk in and, you know, walk in with something and, and have something to introduce myself. And also, you know, growing up, I, I think it's, you know, very Italian thing to not show up empty-handed. Yes, you that's, know? it's very, and very it's, European in general. Yeah, yes, for sure. You, you, you come with something. So yeah. I'm going to, and, and that was something that I stuck with the whole time. You know, I always felt like I'm going to somebody's, it's their home. It's not a very nice home, but it's somebody's home. So exactly. whether it was just bringing like a pack of pork chops, you know, like, hey, let's throw these on the grill later, you know, or, uh, you know, a six pack of beer, anything. You, just show, you show up with something. So that was something I always did, but that's how I made my initial walk walk into the the place mm -hmm. and so what was their reaction um well they had first? seen yeah i'm sorry they you know they had seen people come through there had been a number mm -hmm. of stories um there was a story four or five years ago um in new york magazine actually ben lowey shot it and uh which i discovered afterwards and was disheartened that it had been shot but they had <laughs> seen you know like god damn how am i supposed to live up to this guy yeah but uh which actually was a little bit of a crisis but uh, we talk about that later but um They had seen people come through and then, you know, the local press, um, the Asbury Park press, you know, would always kind of send somebody in for a quick story. You know, this sure. is what's happening as far as the politics go. And take it. So they'd seen people around. So it was a matter for me that wasn't um, the problem as far as like coming in, just getting a couple of pictures. But this is obviously not what I wanted to do. And it was a matter of just keep coming back. And mm -hmm. getting accepted as like one of the gang, I guess. Yeah. That was really the whole thing. And once that happened, um, I was very surprised at the things that uh, the camera allowed me to see. That okay. it kind of gave me access to. Because one of the things was this that, that I found was I fell in with one particular group. And they, I guess they, they looked at me as like a, a normal person. Mm -hmm. which, you know, one might say, like, what kind of normal person wants to go hang, you know, you have a, a wife and children and uh, a nice little house in the suburbs, what kind of guy wants to, normal person wants to go hang out in the woods with people smoking crack? And that, that's something I have to ask mm -hmm. myself as well. But, um, you know, I would come and somebody, like, there's a woman, Dawn, and she would say, uh, oh, Christ, Jesus Christ, um, I got to talk to you. You got to hear this crazy stuff that is going on here. And they'd tell you how crazy everybody else was, you know? Yeah. And then you would uh, come the next day and somebody would say, hey, man, I got to talk to you. This Dawn, she's really, you know, she's out there, but you're a normal person. I need to talk to you. So I became a little bit of like a confessional also. Yes, it sounds like it. You know, everybody needs somebody to tell their, their woes to. And, and, and it's easier to tell strangers. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I found this shooting in the Ukraine that guys i met in a half hour would be crying about their friend who was killed and when 
you know, one of their buddies came by, they would all of a sudden uh, man up, you know, and wipe the tears and back to business. But because you're not going to see this person again, you know, it's much easier. So so they were many different stories. How, how did you approach each story with your camera? Well, I kind of, you know, in the beginning, I, I bounced around a little bit from group to group. And, and, you know, in the first month or two, didn't shoot that much or anything meaningful. And then, and then there was one particular group that I, that I fell in with. And, um, and that was the story that possibly by default or by fate, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, that, that I ended up pursuing. And it was the group that really was addicted and, and had mental problems but enough clarity to kind of know that they were addicted and had mental problems, if that makes sense. Because there were some people there that were really so far gone that they, their perception of reality was the drugs or the mental illness. So these guys, they, they knew they had a problem, you know, and whether they wanted to fix it or not, that depended on the individual. But, but that was kind of the group because there were some other groups there. There were some people that, uh, had fallen on hard times like they were living you know paycheck to paycheck they made bad decisions with their money maybe they they had a, an okay job and they were renting a house then the storm came the economy fell a little bit they ended up out there and for those people ten city became a place to kind of uh, pull your life back together save some money and there were people that did that and as i was shooting it and looking at other people who had done projects there i saw that that was something that was focused on a lot um And this also, for me, was, I think, something that, uh, I don't know, just political, what it was, that I felt like those types of stories were easier, mm -hmm. and they also had a little bit of an agenda, like to say, oh, look at the government, look at George Bush, look at uh, what he's done to the people, and now there's some hardworking folks who are out there in the woods because of whatever, the big, bad government. And what I found was two things. One, those people, they, they were going to be okay, or they were they were bullshitting the uh the photographer mm -hmm. because there were people like for example i found people that um you know three years ago were saying hey i got laid off and and they're still out there every day selling the same story over and over again for years you know mm -hmm. so there was something else to it and what i was really um attracted to was uh not i shouldn't say attracted to what i what i found fascinating was this uh like a, a culture of enablement so This one woman, Dawn, who she's in the, the photograph um, smoking crack with the, she's kind of framed by two people um, and mm -hmm. she's behind a, a wolf blanket. She actually just passed away recently. Um, she overdosed, her heart stopped, uh, however you want to phrase it. And she came there. She was a nurse. She wow. got it, had an injury, started with the Oxycontins and, uh, you know, graduated to heroin. And she was stealing them from the hospital she worked. And uh, ended up in prison and all of this. She gets out of prison, ends up in Tent City. And I had seen photographs that a, a, a local person had been doing. And I saw that, you know, three years ago when she was there, she was healthy. She mm -hmm. was, you know, she was, her face was, her skin was nice. She was, you know, chubby cheeks and she just wasted away. And, and I started to see that there was, I was, I was very torn because I guess the, the, uh, notion of christian charity that that's something that i grew up with and the minister there would say you know i'm going to help these people get food i'm going to clothe them i'm going to feed them and then i started seeing that there was piles and piles of food piles and piles of clothes that were just rotting in the woods wow. and 
that, you know, they, they had more than enough food, more than enough clothes. And I started thinking maybe if they had to worry about those things a little bit more, yeah. they wouldn't have all of this disposable income for, for, for drugs. Now, yeah. the other side of it is somebody's hungry, you give them food. Uh, you know, it's the, the right thing to do, but then you, you free them up. You really give them, you know, the, the luxury to, to spend any little disposable income they have from on, on drugs. And, and that's what happened. It really just made it a safe place to, to waste away, which wow. I found very sad and very disturbing. And it's actually why you won't see the minister in many of the photographs. He, we had had come, I shot him quite a bit, but we had had conversations about this and he started uh, telling people that I was a, a narc. Um, you know, I was a policeman, I, you know, all oh. of these things. And, you know, so he was really kind of undermining and the guys I was with, they didn't, you know, they didn't really buy it, but I, I just knew that it, it made, it kind of confirmed what I felt about him, that he had ulterior motives, like a sense that he, uh, it gave him per like their suffering gave him purpose, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, I don't know him well enough to, to make that final judgment because he was, working very hard but it, it really it left me conflicted yeah that, i can see know. that yeah so now chris how often did you visit the camp um and over a varied. period of how many months about eight months um oh. with the bulk of it being about four months in the middle in the beginning i, I kind of came easy um i was getting i was first of all i was nervous <laughs> and uh and I just kind of coming enough to to get to know people, not shooting a lot, just chatting, hanging around, uh, a lot of sitting around. You know, I would there was kind of a a little bit of a town hall they called it, mm -hmm. uh, a little in the center area. There was a chapel, there was you know a little fire pit and picnic tables, and just hang around and like talk to people. And then as I started getting in with people, I was going you know four four nights a week. Most of the things happened at wow, night. That much, okay. Yeah, and that was for about four or five months. Then towards the end. People were moving on um, because the camp was getting very close to closing. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, so I, I came a little bit less towards the end as, as people moved on and, you know, kind of went off on their own. Well, people will want to know what you were shooting with and what equipment did you bring with you every day? Did you did you bring lights? No, no, um, no traditional lights. They, they had um, for, for lighting. I used um, these uh, little portable lanterns, which. They they had there. A lot of people had them. Like mm -hmm. you know, you get them at Walmart, Home Depot. Little LED lanterns. So I would bring two or three of those just to kind of supplement the light that they had because it, it fit with the um, you know, with with the the atmosphere. Um, and then I the only thing I did, I guess, to would be as I like moved around a tent or something, I might move the lights, like kind of keep them in a circle, and you sure. know. And as I moved, like up, moved that one a little bit, just to kind of keep them out of the frame yeah. as much as possible. But they had them in themselves, so it yeah, wasn't yeah. A big it, 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 in your images, and I will we'll put several on the show notes. Um, it it looks very. I mean, the ambiance is just the way you imagine it. Uh, I mean, you can tell you didn't bring anything sophisticated, um, and and that's what makes those images so special, for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and, I mean, I shot with a flash a few times, and it it, di it didn't. It kind of clashed, and then it was inconsistent, mm -hmm. so I just bagged it. Yeah, and what camera did you use for the project? I used um, a Fuji X-Pro1 quite a bit, um, and uh, a D800. Okay, great. So were there days where you didn't even shoot at all? Some, yeah, yeah. some. Um, yeah, especially early on, I shot a lot less. And like I said, I was trying to, you know, get a rapport. And so I shot a lot less, but then I, I was conscious of make sure that 
I shot a little bit and had the camera just with me and visible mm -hmm. so that it was clear like this, this, that I was there as a photographer, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So that I'm establishing this relationship, but I am a photographer. And, and even if I take a few frames of nothing, just to make sure people see me shooting a little bit to mm -hmm. get used to that idea. And, and what were the most memorable days? Um, I guess, I guess from best to worst, I might say, um, a couple things, you know, one night there was a couple that I, I really struggled with as far as wanting to keep shooting them. because I, I felt like they were using me a little bit for mm -hmm. attention or validation. And I, I, I feel bad saying it. And I know a lot of people, other photographers might, might judge this, but they were not good people. I, 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 I did not really like them and I felt like I should continue to shoot them because I think their story was important. Um, it's basically this guy, Andrew, um, and his fiance, Samantha, they, she was becoming more and more visibly pregnant as, uh, as the project went on. And, you know, he drank heavily, heavily and smoked crack and she, I never saw her until the very end. And this is one of the things that really made me stop shooting them smoke crack. And I tried to always bring her literature about, uh, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I showed her photographs that I shot in Poland of kids with fetal alcohol syndrome. And, you know, she would tell me, well, I'm only drinking beer, but I'm only drinking nine cans of beer Ugh. that's like malt liquor i mean nine beers i'd, I'd be in the hospital but uh yeah. you know and and drink nine nine tall boys of, of beer you know and it's not it's a malt liquor it's like uh twice as strong it's really quite quite shocking and and then you know you find out that she had five kids already taken away by um by social services and wow. i mean this is bad in itself and then uh my son is as i mentioned is uh it was a foster child and adopted and kind of came from that background mm -hmm. and so you were I, I, more, even more sensitive to that. Very, very much so. Very, very much so. You know, it's it's something that uh, you, know, you see couples, friends of mine that struggle with having a child, mm -hmm. and then you see somebody just destroying children's lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wow. It, it it really rubbed me the wrong way, and I wanted people to 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 see that this is this is how people some some people behave and make you think also about the children in foster care like th this 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 woman's children are in foster care and, and these kids they have no chance starting out you yeah, know yeah. and maybe sometimes really reflect on where they came from and they can see now where they came from a person like this and so that's quite memorable in itself and then you know one night she was talking about her her children that were taken away and they were all from a different man and andrew got incredibly jealous that she even mentioned her former partner's existence and grabbed her by the you know the, the scruff of the you know the shirt in front and was really ready to just blast her in the face mm. you know and I, I i took that frame and then kind of just started hey whoa, whoa, you know yeah and uh otherwise you know I, I i couldn't let him punch her in the face in front of me without no. saying something you know what i mean i just that was my my line yeah, you know, yeah, uh, so. I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, any happy experiences? Like good yeah, I mean, stories I, that ended well, people that, I don't know. Not really. No. Um, I had, no. Um, I, I guess on the more positive side, I had become friends with a guy. Um, he went by the name Benny. Um, wasn't his real name. He uh, was an Italian guy from a neighborhood, an Italian neighborhood in the Bronx that uh, my family comes from. 
And sometimes we'd talk, and he was a heroin addict. And we would talk about family stuff and food and just kind of the the way things, like we, we had a certain understanding. We came from a similar background as Italian-Americans and really connected. And, and there were times when he wasn't high and he wasn't sick, kind of just, you know, maybe have one one ticket, one, you know, package of little tickets of like a $5 little pack of heroin. He would have that and he would be as sober as we are now. And he would be able to talk about, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do that. I had this girlfriend I really liked. Maybe uh, get back with her. And, and and he had a plan for the future. And he was working for some guys. He was like a, a handyman kind of guy. But I went with him to a house he was working on, doing some work for somebody and photographed him working. And I, like I mentioned, I have a real estate background. So I know good work when I see it. He was doing trim work. He was doing some plumbing, some tile work. And it was really, really just very good work. And I was like, hey, man, you can do this. You know, mm. you have skills. You have the possibility to uh, to get out of this. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about getting sober. And in fact, as Ten City was closing down and he had no place to stay, I ended up taking him to, uh, to rehab and, uh, you know, bringing him in, checking him in. And, uh, you know, and th- that was something that I felt like I-, I did the best I could to help him, you know, as a, as a friend. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had made a friend there. And unfortunately, I, uh, after he checked in, I, I went to, uh, to Ukraine for a month. When I came back, his phone was disconnected and I haven't been able to find out what happened to him. Oh, what happened to him. Yeah. Wow. And, um, so how many images would you say you ended up with? Oh, this is a <laughs> 20,000. Wow. Okay. So now that the interesting part for me is how do you go through that? How d- did, did somebody help you? Uh, yeah. decide which which how do you sequence all this that it, to me is just uh that would be a, a huge endeavor and how do you even get started did you do it as you went through the project or did you wait for the project to be completely finished no i did it as i went through okay. um i had uh a couple people helping me um one a guy uh at icp uh kind of seminar instructor who this was his you know his role a guy called andrew lichtenstein and uh he had one particular approach to, to editing and, uh, I, I struggled with it very much, you know, and he helped me as far as just picking better images and then like, let, you know, let the story kind of flow from just the the stronger images. That was one thing. And, and, and that turned into something. It was more like, uh, if I had, I guess, stuck with his, his method worked very well, but if I had stuck with that, I think I would have ended up with a story more about, um, it would have seemed like uh, something from a John, John Steinbeck book, okay. um, you know, kind of like, you know, cutting down trees and living in the forest and, you know, yeah. man depended on himself. So, And that's not really where I wanted to go. And you wanted I, more of the raw story. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and really, you know, kind of address the things I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe less, less, he, he had maybe a more newsy approach, but it, it helped as far as just image selection. It was, it was a great help. I really struggled with that. And then a guy uh, called Frank Fournier, he um, really, really helped me because he was more about. Uh, he's an old, he became like a, a personal friend and a mentor. And he had a very, uh, <laughs> a very French approach, I guess. It was mm-hmm. all about ambiance and mood, and then let, let that kind of dictate. And that's kind of where I ended up yeah. with the project, which actually quite funny. I showed it to somebody from the Wall Street Journal, and they uh, they said this isn't newsy enough. Um, it's very uh, nasal. Nasal. What am I saying? Uh, navel gazing and uh and too moody it's it's uh 
well, what? I think I said, what are you actually? Really? He actually said, what are you, French? <laughs> so, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And I was like, God damn it, Frank. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, but in the end, it was something that, um, I, and I went back to him and said, you know, the guy from the paper said this and the guy, another guy from the Times kind of had the same criticism. And I was feeling kind of down about it. And then the next thing you know, you know, it got accepted into Visa Pour Limage, which was, you know, just mind blowing to me, yeah. you know, just to kind of be there with, uh, like my work was shown in a slideshow right before um, William Allard. It was really like mind blowing, wow, but it was, you know, nice. in the same, you know, in the same. Yeah, I felt like uh, like like a ball player who gets called up to the majors, <laughs> like for what, like their first game. You know what yeah, I mean? You, you look awesome. around the dugout and you say, yeah. "I can't believe I'm in the same room with these guys." Yeah. So that was pretty cool. It's hard. I mean, you just can't. Yeah, you can't take all the criticism to heart. It's it, it hurts. I mean, it's just tapped you right in the heart. This is your baby, and uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So how has it changed your life? <laughs> well, it really, um, you know, it, it, it confirmed that uh, I was good at doing what I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it made me feel, it made me feel validated, I guess, that, uh, you know, that the, the work is getting out there slowly but surely. And uh, so that definitely was just a big motivation. Um, and it uh, also, you know, prompted me to set out on some new projects i had gone to ukraine and libya and those were things that i guess that was my ultimate goal to do that kind of work mm -hmm. and when i was there it didn't go particularly ukraine went well and reasonably well for my first time in a war zone and libya did not go particularly well it was very difficult and it, it made me i guess comparing the two experiences help me to really understand like where my uh where what my wheelhouse was you know really what my strengths are and okay. my strength was you know sitting with people taking my time getting to know people where in those kinds of situations it's it doesn't let me shoot as well as i can shoot and if yeah. i can't shoot it well then i can't put the story out and then it makes it kind of pointless so are you going out on assignment or are you giving yourself assignments and then try to sell your story later self-assignment yeah yeah yeah. which is definitely the way to go to get to get noticed but uh but difficult at the same time yeah i mean it's it's uh there's a certain amount of frustration when you mm -hmm. you know you sh you show things to people and they're like yeah i like this it's um you know did you shoot that or why didn't you shoot this i don't know what do you want me to tell you you know yeah, yeah. but uh but but it, it does give you the you know freedom to shoot what you want and and, and, and see you, what happens. Exactly. I mean, you got to shoot with your heart, and uh, you can't pretend. You can't go with. Uh, I, I what? Well, in my opinion, if you go out there with an agenda as I'm going to shoot this to please this type of magazine, then then you're not you. So I think your approach is you you trust your your instinct as a photographer. And then somebody will will recognize that. Um, but yeah, wow. I feel that way. You know, yeah. I, I had, for example, I, I spent the summer um, shooting. There's a, a rodeo in New Jersey. It's a, the longest running rodeo, like weekly rodeo program in the United States. Which is mm -hmm. kind of odd that it's in New Jersey, but uh, it, and it's kind of like um, the minor leagues of rodeo, where it's professional, but it's um, it's not in the, obviously New Jersey's not the the mecca of of, of horses, and uh, <laughs> so you get guys who. Um, they can't compete in Wyoming, so they come here and they hope to get enough points in the national system by winning the these rodeos. Because say they, uh, for, let's say they they place fourth or fifth in Wyoming, they can place first here 
and uh, and get enough points to make it to uh, a regional and hope you know hopefully a crack at the nationals. And I, I was shooting that, and I was speaking to you know pitching it to people and saying like, do you want me to shoot it like this? Do you want me to shoot it like that? And people kept saying, just shoot, just do what you do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And 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 it's one of those things that uh, you know as I as I as it progressed, I, I saw that what was better was when I really just followed my instincts yeah. and just shot what I wanted to shoot and not think about what somebody else did. Well, that's, you know, it's being you is the, what is the easiest way to be anyways. And, uh, and it's the best way to go because you, you know, trying to be somebody you're not, it's not going to last. And, uh, but just follow your, follow your heart and follow your instinct. I think that's, uh, that's, that's the best way to the best way to approach anything in uh, in our craft for sure. Um, so, what advice would you give a photographer who wants to embark in a project like like you did with Tent City? So, you said you looked through newspapers, looked for articles, stories that just um, that could be of interest. Is that that was your first step? Yeah, and um, you know, and and one of the things that uh, this guy Marcel, he uh, like I said, he's from Redux, and he, he had uh he had been um had his own agency his saba agency earlier and he was a guy that I, I really highly highly respect you know when he started out he had a couple guys from seven before it was seven and guys that really but ron Haviv specifically that uh you know really inspired me and uh so taking advice from him when i knew he advised these guys was very you know poignant and i listened to it you know it's a combination of you know research finding the story that that appeals to you mm-hmm. and checking it out and maybe you check out a few things and then you decide what what can i actually shoot you know some some things you might approach like the other story that i've been looking at was heroin in, in this in the suburbs like with middle class white kids that are getting into good colleges that are overdosing in you know nice families in the suburbs but how do you get into yeah. that exactly is, how feasible yeah. is that you mm-hmm. know yeah, Which and how much did, time do a, you have? And there are a lot of yeah things. To there's consider. a lot of things, you know. Like these people are, were willing to open up to me, where mm-hmm. I think a, an 18 year old high school senior who's secretly doing heroin, how do you even find him? And then, yeah, uh, yeah he doesn't want his parents to know. Exactly. So, so yeah, a little yeah. more uh, touchy for sure. Do you are you still in contact with any of those people from Tent City? A little bit, you know, people's phones change. It, this yeah. is the problem is they scattered um, yeah. and people's phones change. You know, they're not the greatest at paying bills. And so I've, I've kind of fallen out of touch. And what's actually pretty amazing was that uh, I, I started just like, hey, I wonder if any of these guys are, it never occurred to me earlier. Some of them have Facebook accounts and, and I have managed to to find relatives of people. And that's how I actually found out this woman, Dawn, had overdosed. I found her, she had a twin sister. And I, I found her on Facebook and that's how I found out. Mm-hmm. But um, besides that, now it's kind of difficult to uh, yeah. to get information. Well, you can only hope that some uh, some of them uh, got out of there and uh, and started a new life. Hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to track down this uh, this guy Benny that I, that I mentioned. Yeah. I'd like to yeah to follow up with him whether or not it's even shooting it. But uh, yeah, I mean, just to just to just to know for my own uh, peace of mind and kind of keep yeah. my fingers crossed. Yeah. Although yeah. you know. Uh, oh yeah, I can see that. Addict I mean, doesn't yeah. end, usually doesn't end well. True, true. Um, so now, what's next? A book, exhibit, what for this project? So yeah, so um, myself and a couple guys I graduated with uh, ICP with, we are uh, guys and and girls. We are doing an exhibition in the city. Um, we think we have a pretty nice venue. We've got uh, 
actually two more French people uh, curating it. Um, uh, Martine Fogeron and then another woman, uh, Pauline, she's uh, the uh, curator at the ICP Museum. Mm-hmm. And so she's helping us curate this. Um, the, so it's kind of a group show, um, I guess a theme on uh, on on being an outsider. Yeah. Um, the other projects are uh, a family that's uh, living um, in an area in Brooklyn that's uh, it's a very strange area that's un- undeveloped because it's below sea level. So there's no, uh, no plumbing and people living in trailers. Another guy did a story about aqueduct race, racetrack and the gamblers. Um, one of the girls did a story about uh, the uh, peep shows, like the last peep shows and the girls who work there in Times Square in that area. And uh, another guy did a story about the Latin Kings in Brooklyn. So we're doing a group show with that. And then um, we were all part of a book. Um, us and a few other people were in a book that was published in, uh, in, get it in bookstores in germany um so that kind of inspired us it was from a a school uh, an editing school in in germany they kind of we got together with them and paired up each photographer with an editor and and made this book so with a couple of those editors um yeah i'm going to work on a book about this and uh and which will be nice because um be able to incorporate like i had mentioned uh this guy andrew who had uh encourage me to pursue one direction that's really not reflected in the final edit. So like make a chapter on, on just like the day-to-day survival yeah. things and, and kind of approach some of the different couples a little more specifically chapters on that. So I'm working on that, that book also from, from the edit. Excellent. And what's your next project? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and right now I'm actually shooting underground wrestling, like kind of uh, WWF, you know, like the guys okay. who want to be, you know, in WrestleMania, like the guys who want to be that are just, you know, yeah. kind of wrestling in gyms in front of 30 people. And they, you know, it appeals to me because it's, it's again, it's guys following their dreams, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. that, that really uh, is something that, uh, you know, what it do you want to be? Yeah. What do you mm-hmm. want? Yeah. What do you want to be? You know, yeah. and these yeah. guys really, you know, they put their, their bodies on the line, like in a big, really tremendous athletes, you know, and, uh, and show them and, and for, for nothing, you know, for, for zero money. And they, they, they do this. So I'm working on that. And then um, I'm always kind of thinking of, like I had said, with uh, with this project, kind of a, diff, you know, a different angle on things. So I'm always kind of looking at stories that way. And what I'm researching now is uh, in Newfoundland, um, they are, I was up in Newfoundland and uh, asking questions about, uh, you know, so with the seals, you know, you're hunting the seals, that's, that's pretty nasty business. And people get very defensive, you know, like you're from Greenpeace. We hate those guys, you know, and it's like, you hey, hate Greenpeace. How could that be? And then they start explaining why, and they have a, a, a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guys who go stealing and it's awful. If you watch the videos, you know, it's really yeah. brutal oh, to watch. God. It's, it's, it's awful. Yeah. And they were very guarded. So I'm, I'm working on getting some access to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it'll be something I think I, um, well, I am approaching it as I don't want to photograph that at all. I just want to photograph how you live the other 11 months a year. Yeah. To kind of give that. And, and if it comes to maybe one day going out with them, yeah. you know, I, that could be I, tough. I would do Oof. it. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just brutal as, as far as being there and, yeah. and the conditions cold. Man. So, uh, but to get, to get to know those guys, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, because they're marginalized, you know, they're exactly. Finland is so, yeah. So things like that, I'm working yeah. on it. And I'd also want to go back to Ukraine and, uh, and focus on like small economies in, in, in the, on the fringe of the war zone. Uh huh. You know, like uh, when you go to Eastern Europe, there's a lot of people just selling stuff on the side of the road, like really meager little stalls. You know, you yeah. going back and forth, you see a woman selling potatoes, a pile of potatoes on a plastic card table, you know. Yeah, so yeah. 
you know, how does she survive? Yeah. So I kind of want to approach that as opposed to what I shot with the more yeah. the, the citizen soldiers. So, so looking for some things a little different. So those two things I'm, I'm working on now. Excellent. I have a feeling I'll be catching up with you in a few months again. And, I hope uh, so. And talk about a new story. Well, thank you, Chris. And where can people uh, go to see more of your work? I'll put all the links on the show notes. But if people are in their car driving and they want to check out your website uh, later on, Okay, yes, yeah, so my website's my name, chrisochiconi.com. You're going to have to spell uh, that. You can try to spell that if you want. Yeah, it's uh, chris, C-H-R-I-S-O-C-C-H-I-C-O-N-E.com. Uh, the project will also be on Lightbox, Time Lightbox, um, sooner rather than later, I hope. Um, and uh, I'm trying to reschedule schedule that, but it's, it's meant to happen soon. We'll be there. I think you'll find it on uh, Panorama. Um, in Italy, and the Plaid Zebra website has run uh, a few different edits. Lens culture, you'll find it there. So it's it's, it's yeah, it's in a couple of places. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me today. I'm sure uh, people will want to go look at at your at your work for sure. Those images are just um, are just amazing. They really touched me, and uh, and I'm glad we we did this. Thank you, Chris. All right, thank you very much. And we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show and check out Chris's work. And then share the love and tell your friends about Street Focus on social media. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab that camera and hit the streets. Hit the streets.